Welcome. I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is the first episode of Stories We Can Tell. It's a place for thoughts, musings, and passages of this old Floridian. What can you expect? Well, at its heart, reflections on history, literature, and music. Stories about individual journeys and struggles and victories. And some epiphanies. It's about Americans, America, or as much as I've seen. I've been teaching and coaching down here in my hometown of Melbourne, Florida for the past 35 years, mostly American history. But this is not just some collection of oral history lessons. Actually, that's not completely true, but anyone who knows me will tell you I'm a hoarder of quotes. One I like is Will Durant's description of civilization. He said, civilization is a stream with banks. The stream is sometimes filled with blood from people killing, stealing, and shouting, and doing things historians love to record. While on the banks, unnoticed, people build homes, make love, raise children, sing songs, write poetry, and even whittle statues. The story of civilization is the story of what happens on the banks. I like to think that Mr. Durant's words better describe where I'm going with these conversations. Three years ago, I wrote a book called uh, Tending to the Past. Imagine that. Reflections of an American History Teacher. Since then, I published a collection of poetry called Point South, and surely a verse or two will slip in from time to time. As far as the podcasts go, oftentimes my studio is my back porch, where there are frequently sounds of crickets and birds and barking dogs, rain hitting the tin roof and trains. A siren works its way in from time to time, along with a motorcycle screaming down 192. So I apologize for the background noise and the raw recordings. But that's me. I kind of like it that way. I hope you do too. Unbridled and unvarnished. Well, let's get started, shall we? The old man sat in a sliver of shade, smoking a cigarette. He seemed puzzled by my fascination with his work. He must have wondered why this skinny white kid was so intrigued by hard labor. What's your name, Jitterbug, he asked. I told him, but I did not ask him his. He was the darkest man I'd ever seen. He seemed ancient, yet his body looked chiseled from stone. Jim. That's an old man's name, he said, as he stood up slowly and climbed back down in the hole. Ought to be Jimmy. The way they built swimming pools back a half century ago was a sight to behold. It was grueling, monotonous work, especially in the Florida summer sun. But to witness it was like watching an artist. I was amazed by the old man's meticulous efforts. His tender would dump a wheelbarrow full of fresh cement in the bottom of the hole, and with a square point shovel, the old man would start slinging it against the wire mesh on the walls. Two thirds of the mud would slide down to the bottom, but never mind, he had already scooped up another shovel full and slung it too. 
and of course, much of the cement slid back down. He continued work for hours, and this 10-year-old sat mesmerized. What seemed to be a terribly wearisome process began to take shape as the old man formed the corners and edges with that square point, only stopping for a few cigarette and water breaks. I didn't know it then, but he was teaching me a lesson I would not forget. Let's get this out of the way. I'm 59 years old, a husband, grandfather, father, baseball coach, and American history teacher. I like to eat, sleep, drink, and be in love, as the poet said. I guess there's more, but certainly not less. Funny thing about me, my friends will tell you, I'm always on the outside. Here I am toting around a master's degree in history, and I can't even bring myself to join a political party. I am readily inspired, easily disillusioned. I preach to my kids the value of cooperation and the importance of community, yet I am myself an island, a spoils island, out in the middle of the intercoastal with mangroves and Australian pines. There are no currents to resist, only winds and tides. I try to keep my distance. When I don't, there's usually trouble. So many years ago, a young folk singer said, there's a little pirate in everybody in this room, and I know Mr. Buffett was talking about me. Still, I will chase you around singing the praises of Lincoln, Roosevelt, and Kennedy. Not sure how I got to the classroom, but here I am. After 35 years slinging the mud against the wall, hoping some of it sticks. It's nearing the end of the semester and soon these kids will be on their way off to the law studies and psychology away from me and my tired old stories of home. This sampling of Florida history is all but over. The final exam is a ridiculously lengthy multiple choice test, top heavy with local names and places. Hopefully the true measurement of what they learned is something beyond that. The semester has been riddled with lessons on the early origins of East Central Florida and the strange demographics of America's fastest growing state. They were sent on road trips around the county, taking pictures of local landmarks and assigned essays describing their favorite places. I introduced them to Ernest Hemingway, Marjorie Kenan Rawlings, Shelby Struther, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and Carl Hyacinth. We learned about the fragile Indian River Lagoon and the noble efforts to save it, the Everglades and the Keys, and a dose of state and local government. Finally, they heard the epic tale of America in space. Florida studies would not be complete. I don't know what the hell complete means, but without the story of the space program, it put its mark on us long before Disney. I spoke today of astronauts, engineers and astronauts, Last week, we took a chance and watched four days of the right stuff, a story of test pilots and explorers, America's best and bravest. If you've never watched the movie or read the book, you need to. 
After answering a few questions students had about the movie, I reminded them of the importance of heroes and finding heroic tendencies in those around them. The aspiring artists, computer designer, chef, and lawyer can all benefit from the stories of Chuck Yeager, Neil Armstrong, Alan Shepard, John Glenn. I told my students of their swagger and moxie. I told them about my dad living in a grapefruit grove off US-1, supporting a sickly wife and commuting to the Cape each day, and how astronaut Gordon Cooper crawled under the sink to hold a wrench for him. I never heard my old man bitch about the cards he was dealt. Here's a man of the greatest generation, homeless during the Depression, surviving the Pacific in World War II. So many times, just when he got on his feet, something came along and knocked him on his ass. And he just kept getting up. It was all about the getting up. There were a whole lot of folks around with the right stuff, a quality beyond courage. As usual, this lecture was an exercise in winging it. I had no plans for what to say. For when I preached to my students about heroes, it was filled with mystical overtones. I was physically unable to bullshit them. I felt that perhaps it was my essential mission in all this, to look at their faces and their eyes and try to keep them naive and brave and idealistic. Be heroic, be Homeric for the world, for your country, for your family, for yourself. When I sat back and listened to my own voice, there seemed to be something way out of sorts. My audience was far removed from things such as heroes and visions. In these troubled days, why did I insist upon repeating my corny, cheesy spiel? At a time when things seemed so dark, why was I offering optimism and hope? I can't answer my own questions, but I let my words come out of me. As Langston you said, and so they are true. The noble qualities of honor, courage, and self-sacrifice are the things worth believing in and worth speaking of over and over again. I am that old black man smoking the camel cigarette, still throwing mud against the wall, hoping for something to stick. So let's be heroic for the world, for your country, for your family, for yourself. <laughs>